You're listening to On Conversation, and I am the legend Keith Chandler. This week on our 13th episode, we convene again at our home base of Stir It Up Coffee Shop in Emerald Isle to discuss reading, books, music, and dance, and how all of that ultimately shapes human history and human interaction. Later on in the episode, we discuss language being the ultimate form of anarchy, but we never actually get around to doing anything substantive with it. And then even further on in the episode, Joey and I go to grits over me being maybe too critical. Our sponsor this week is Sweet Sounds Records, fallen on deaf ears since 2012. Sweet Sounds Records just released their 31st release. Odd Circles is the name of the band. The name of the record is Official Motion Picture Soundtrack. You can check out everything that you need to know about Sweet Sounds Records at their website, sweetsoundsrecords.com. Our intro music this week is, in fact, from Odd Circles. Last week, we brought you a track called Charlie. This week, we will bring you a snippet of a track called Like Having a Dream. It's all good music. Again, all opinions expressed on On Conversation are mine, Joey's, and Brad's. They are not representative of our sponsors or the businesses that we are conducting our podcasts in. We appreciate everyone that's been paying attention to us and listening to us. I just found out uh, once again that some more people actually listen to this regularly, which I find both endearing, humbling, and terribly shocking. I don't know why. Anyway, if you have any feedback, questions, comments, concerns, send us an email to sweetsoundsrecords1 at gmail.com. In the interim, enjoy the episode, enjoy the music, and not that they need my help, but shout out to Pepsi for making Pepsi with mango. It shouldn't be as good as it is, but it is. And big ups to Hardee's for the chicken and waffles sandwich. Uh, my, only, eh, my only gripe would be you guys need to put more syrup on it. Welcome to On Conversation. We're at our our normal haunt. foundational coffee shop, Stir It Up, Stir on it up. Emerald Isle, North Carolina, and we are going to talk about a few things today. We're not really sure. We're kind of in limbo about what we really want to talk about. So it's going to be a totally organic process, so the topics may not go together. <laughs> Books, violence, love. Loneliness. Heartache. And the How's Matrix. your album? It's, I mean, well, it's done. It's out. So has, has pe- have people been downloading it? I got a really good review, actually. Holy from, shit. From a guy in Kentucky called Doodle Hound. Oh, my God. What, what's it? It's a blog. Diddle Hound? Just Doodle Hound. Doodle Hound, yeah. Okay. It's a blog. I think it's a mix between a, yeah, probably a, some kind of hound dog and a... Huh? Oh, he, he draws, he's, he's yeah, a, I see what you're saying. There's yeah. a, a guy named Corey, and he's trying to, or he does a lot of uh, visual to music stuff. Okay. Um, so he drew a piece of art for his review, put it on his blog, and laid it out. I think he really captured the spirit of it. I was, I was very... Was it a lonely space, man? Uh, no, it, well, I was very humbled by it. It was very cool. I've had a lot of good friends of mine, muso friends, send me messages... They've been very complimentary. Um, 
That's great. So yeah, it's 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 been the most well received thing I think that I've ever done by myself. Okay. As it as it were, I had some help. I had one guy play guitar and one guy play drums, but by far it's been the most well received thing that I've ever done as an individual. Good. Which good. is which is nice. I all, all that really proves to me though is that regardless of how odd or weird it may or may not be, people generally prefer pop music. And then even beyond that, people want, for the most part, people want things that are accessible. Well, the concept that people like things that are popular is kind of tautological, right? Well, of course, I mean, but... but <laughs> Very. But I'm just saying, I mean, I've made a lot of weird music for a long time, and people have been generally accepting mm. but skeptical. Yeah, I don't like weird music. This is this is my good, honest, one once in a lifetime attempt at my kind of pop music, mm-hmm. and I have definitely, like I said, it's been the most well received thing. Well, would you say there's thematic musical intent, like in society, and so you have to kind of move your your music toward that to be accepted by greater and greater numbers of people because. As you get to larger and larger numbers of people, your stuff kind of gets generalized, I would think, like mm-hmm. into these thematic streams of of what makes good music or what makes pop music, right? I think so. And so as you touch on those, you have more and more people, like you probably have a thousand true fans, right? Right. right? You, you Or you will, right, with this. And then they'll go back and listen to your more abstract music. Weird stuff, yeah. Right. But I, but I really feel that, you know, that you have to touch on, so there's probably chord progressions. What is the name of the famous, you know, progression that goes up? Pentonic scale, like you have to use certain scales well, look at certain at, um, times. Look at Dark Side of the Moon. I mean, that was in the top, Rolling Stone top 100 or Billboard 100 for like... Top one. In the 100. For years, 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 longest running ever. Yeah, yeah, top number one. But it's it's universality is that it touches upon all the things that make us human. Mm -hmm. Have you? Joey's making. I don't think there's anything universal about Dark Side of the Moon. Really? I think that people kind of there's a. Oh my gosh! You think they just like the pyramid on the front? The artwork is fantastic. Yeah, you could get I think lost that, in that for yeah. a long time. Oh, yeah, yeah the there prism. is something universal about, like, oh, money. Yeah, wow. People are actually slaves to money, even though they really like it. And it's, yeah. Okay. But, dude, it's 1973, man. People are, like... Waking up. Waking up, yeah. Waking up from... Dude, that record will live on forever and ever You can't and ever. dance to it. It's not about... No one gives a shit about dancing to anything. Not them. What? The only people Joey likes about, to dance. The only people that wanted to I dance just, in 1973 were people hopped up on powder. I don't think the... if yeah. I don't know. The hippies um, danced around the campfires, didn't they? And they were hopped up on LSD. Uh, yeah. No. Music... The origin of music is in dance. The whirling dervishes? The Otherwise, it's just, no, it's just sound. Hmm... What is the point of now, it being written? Now, that's a so conversation. What, sound and music. So what is the origin of music? Mr. Technicality. I have no idea. I, I, I don't know all that. Why don't you people, type that in? And people are biologically very programmed to... It, people have unique psychological responses to rhythmic unison. Yes, they and do. united movement around dance that both increases... It increases sense of well-being, 
uh, social involvement, productivity. Uh, it's elevating in very unique psychological ways, and all of that is deeply tied to like physical movement. Okay, we'll look at it. But back sounds communicate information too, in general. We'll look at it backwards then. Um, if you had an indigenous people, however many thousands of years ago, and they're dancing around, praising whatever they're praising, celebrating whoever they're celebrating themselves or otherwise, right? What do you think they would have called it? Do you think they would have called it music? Or do you think they would have just, in their, whatever their tongue was, it was probably sounds. Sounds to create whatever rhythm or beats or, 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 or melodies or whatever that they were. But I'm sure melody didn't exist then. Like, mm. the, 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 the concept, the idea, the sound, like, <laughs> sure. Yeah. But, like, I, I doubt someone in whatever ancient, 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 wherever was like, yo, hey, Pharaoh, drop, drop this melody on me. People have a really specific emotional response to note progressions. Absolutely. No, no, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not. So even if the structure didn't exist, I feel like people wouldn't have an inherent response to it if the thing didn't also exist as something unique and identifiable. Right, but but maybe but maybe not in word. I guess in this case, I'm sp speaking specifically. There might not have been the specific word or language for it, though everyone knew or felt what it was. So the prehistoric music was associated with tribal ritual and the medicine man, and yeah, you know, like community togetherness. So and the sounds and rhythm. So probably dance came along at the same time that music did because the tribal leaders were also dancing as they did the... But not, not it doesn't yeah, say it's that. It's doubtful that you could have dance without music. The first musical instrument was a human voice. Well, obviously. Well, not... Somebody could beat on something rhythmically. So they found a bone flute in Germany like that's 35,000 years old. But not all music is made for dance. It has a V-shaped So mouth. just because music is not danceable does not disqualify it from being good or quality. No, I don't think it does, but I think it, it makes it something that's fundamentally different. It makes it an appealing soundscape. It's just music. It's it makes all it music, something that's man. good to listen to. I will get you a book. I'm suggesting this book to our audience as well. It's there called were music, Neanderthals had musical instruments. It's called The Mysticism of Sound and Music. It was written by a Sufi mystic named Hazrat Inayat Khan. H-A-Z-R-A-T, uh, I think it's I-N-Y-U-A-T-K-A-H-M. The Mysticism of Sound and Music. Fantastic book. It will change how you see and the understand. Mysticism so the, the, no, the Mysticism of Sound and Music? No, The Mysticism of Sound and Music. Okay. Yeah, I agree. So what's it will, his it will, theory... That, there's, that there is everything is sound and, and everything that is music is sound and everything that is sound is music. It's all the same. Okay, we'll see that labeling, defining what is music to me doesn't actually do anything productive towards any kind of conversation. So what, what do you mean by, what's the point of saying that that's music versus because, something else? Because that's of the music. argument that people would say, well, that's not music. That doesn't sound like music to me. It sounds like noise. Okay, well, that's... Also, what's the point of that? But I mean, sitting outside <laughs> listening to waves crash, birds chirp, sound move through, wind move through the tree, that's music. Okay. You can't dance to that, but it's music. 
Well, maybe you could. All right, so somebody's gatekeeping the notion of music in order to criticize something that you like. That's stupid. You're trying to expand the definition Ooh, of music to that's me. stupid. You're trying Instead to of me. Ex- Sam will laugh at that. <laughs> yeah. You're trying to expand the notion of what is music to be so broad that you're you're making a it's a kind of a blanket philosophical I'm statement. I'm not making or any blanket philosophical. I'm suggesting that you read a book that might be making a blanket philosophical statement. Okay. I I still don't see how it's a productive you're, conversation. You're talking to a burnout trying to regurgitate to you something that an 8,000-year-old Sufi mystic wrote in a book. Yeah. I'm going to just buy you the book, and then when you read it, we'll talk about it. Because then you can cite the book if to me. If you'll read it. Okay. I read... A, Joey reads a lot the of great most books. We pass books back together all, all the time. The most applicable book that I've read recently uh, related to this is called Dancing in the Streets. Um, a history of group celebration mm. and it starts with prehistoric times goes to like the Dionysian festivals in Greece mm. and then to the Middle Ages and medieval Europe which people apparently really underestimate the the number of ceremonies and public festivities that were going on and how much everything revolved around people basically publicly dancing, chanting, singing, etc., and how it was eliminated as a core social practice in as you moved out of the Middle Ages into the Renaissance, and you had significant political pressure to keep people from participating in public ecstatic celebrations because it threatened the political order essentially so so i want I how want, did it threaten the political order because they you get a get bunch so of people together up. who are ecstatic and then they start thinking about how the world isn't perfect or their lives aren't fair or they're already concerned about taxation or policies or they're just drunk and pissed off in general people don't like disparate uh people don't like differences in social power and so when they gather together, they start talking to each other. You're talking about a mob. Yeah, so do you see basically. how eloquently okay. and detailed and well he speaks of his book review? Do you see what I say about mine? Yeah, maybe you need to get a pattern for your book reviews so you can... Maybe I should just smoke less. Maybe. Maybe. But you have been smoking a lot less. What was the name of the book? The Mysticism of Sound and Music. I hope I get Yay. some some royalties from that Sufi. <laughs> I don't think he's got a copyright yeah, anymore. Yeah. It's seventy years after you die. It's a great book, either way. And it uh, honestly, it's it makes me feel ashamed and embarrassed that I can't speak as well as Joey, being that I also majored in English. Do just, you believe? I just can't remember anything. That the '60s Cultural Revolution happened because of music, or it would would it have happened as well? Be integrated through society without music. Um, mm. The it, book that I read. Ref- okay, you, I was just too, my, my my simple answer would be twofold: music and drugs. So drugs allowed the music. Music. I don't, I don't know. I don't know which one came first. Okay. I just think they both allowed people to get out and see it differently. And get think, out of their boxes. I think that helped. Go ahead, Joey. Sorry. Well, there was a formidable social pressure, too, because of the war. 
so and people's kids dying so even straight laced people who would have had problems with you know the tune out drop out tune out whatever the hell it was timothy leary tune said in, turn on and drop out that's it yeah um see <laughs> yeah good for something. yeah you are <laughs> uh but I, I feel that without that, without the pressure of the Vietnam War, some of that meant it may not have happened. You know, well, but, okay, then call it three-piece, because then, yeah, right. the, the, the war and the imagery. There has to be a decent amount of social pressure to push the feeling. But I, but, but I think the, the, some of the wave rode on the coattails of that particular music. Anytime I think a mass of people come under any great sense of duress... There will great ulti- great art is normally formed from that. Yeah, th- yeah, there's there's the outlet always becomes now whether it's film or music or visual art or some combination right. therein. I think every time in history where there's an, an immense sense of some type of duress or unrest, right, there is a, a great art that that stems from it. The book that I was referring to tackles this question and describes uh, 17th, 18th, 19th century musical experience as being very rigid. Um, That was the rise of the, hey, everybody sit down and listen to a concert type of culture as musical experience. And that is actually a a perversion and an undermine undermining of the way that people are naturally meant to experience music, which is in celebration, dancing uh, communally in uh, approaching a sense of ecstasy. So according and to also, this author, the, the, the 1950s, 1960s, 1970s um, concert dance culture that emerged in the wake of like rhythm and blues, rock and roll music, jam bands, all that stuff was actually a reclaiming and a return to something that was intrinsic in human nature that I would had been agree with that socially repressed, structurally repre- repressed by a number of institutions, both political and I mean, specifically in the case of America, like religious too. right? You know, given it's the assumption. Well, that the old baddest thing that you can't yeah, dance. Right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Static musical celebration is too akin to sex for people to be comfortable with it yes. if they have if they're religiously you know prudish and you look at mind. the structures that the even the dances that they did in the 1700s and 1800s were very structured dances yeah. like minuets and you know like the dances that french nobles did where they help they are hardly <laughs> even close to each other right. and then they switch partners so you're never like close to any one person yeah. um if you watch any period dramas they're always doing dances and even a waltz you you're there's a person length between you right. and the other person so huh. um yeah that that i believe that reflection to me is pretty pretty valid hmm. um so then yeah Let's, Good job, Joey. Thanks. <laughs> well, again, I'm regurgitating what I read. I'll well, give the, he's, the author. But in see, a he's he's currently looking at, I think, a review. Cons. I couldn't on, find on a description Wiki. of that specific book, but I did find a list of his foundational principles on Wikipedia. Go for it. There is one God, Allah, the eternal, the only being. None exist save He. Who is that? That's what that's what Hazrat Eniyat Khan. So so before before you continue, just so people know, uh, the reason he believes that Allah is the one God is because he's a Sufi, 
Sufi is a branch of Islam. The, okay. the Sufis are the whirling dervishes. The Speaking Sufi of mystics. dancing. Right. Well, right. he not only refers to him as being the one God, but as being the only being, which would suggest all things as being part of Allah. a single thing. Right. Yeah. Which a, is actually a, a not unusual in religion. Right. So Correct. Vishnu would be the sim- similar kind of. And so while we're here, everyone, uh, now that we're incorporating religion into the podcast, happy Pentecost Sunday. Continue, Joey. Yeah, it is the Pentecost. Uh, yeah. Um, and I don't specifically endorse any religious beliefs, particularly by reading this, but <laughs> just understanding and openness to all religion. There is one master, the guiding spirit of all the guiding spirit of all souls that constantly leads all followers towards the light. I don't know how this guiding spirit, in his opinion, relates to the single being God, but... Um, well, there's a lot of things in religion that don't make sense. <laughs> you don't have to defend this. Right. Let him finish. Number three, there is one <laughs> holy book, the sacred like, manuscript of guy, nature. The guy. only scripture that can enlighten <laughs> the reader. I'm not a huh. I'm not, I know. I'm, I'm not you're a, not even a... You're a, a Buddhist. Yeah. Well, you're kind of... You're a bad Buddhist. <laughs> so he says there is one I'm sorry. I'm book, judging. The sacred manuscript of nature, <laughs> the only scripture that can enlighten... So I guess he's referring to nature as the holy scripture of whatever That's how I ever it. present religion he's talking about. So I Rumi kind of does that in his poetry, doesn't he? Like he flows, like everything flows together. Was Rumi a Sufi also? I Rumi think. was certainly Islamic, I think. Yeah, he's definitely Islamic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think most religions accept the idea, idea that, or monotheistic religions accept the idea that there's one if there's one god then that god is infallible and all things are a representation of a single truth of that god i think that that's pretty common in like abrahamic religions because you know if god is omnipotent then anything that exists cannot be you know strictly like wrong or bad because it has to be part of God. So I think that's actually pretty. But the way that he refers to it as being a scripture, nature is being a scripture. And that seems like it is saying there are philosophers only to look to nature rather than anything else that's written by man as like Well, philosophers talk about nature as a text, as a okay. type of text. Like well, it's I've never heard that before. to us, like as a text, and then well, and if you we write it, from that text. Yeah, if you watch it, it'll teach you. It'll tell you. That's like they always say, like in well, yoga. I mean, it's telling us now that we're fucking up, right? And we need to fix the well, like uh, so fix I know our our all the pull yoga stuff, on the environmental. All, all the concern. yoga teachers I've had, all that training, and they always say, you know, you know, if you get quiet enough, then your body will tell you everything you want to know about. It. The nature, your nature will tell you. Uh, Peter Matheson, another one of my very f- most favorite favorite authors, uh, wrote a great book called Far Tortuga, very postmodern. There's no punctuation. You have no idea who's speaking. Someone else mentioned that book. It's a fantastic. It's one of my most favorite books in all of my whole life. Is it to deal with tortugas? Uh, yeah, it's about it's about. Is a, he on, a, on the island? Yeah, it's about a group of turtle fishermen aspired by real events that he experienced. I don't Oh, I, I hear I, Tortuga, I think Pirates of the Caribbean. No, 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 right. but they were all turtle fishermen. Gotcha. And they're trying to get out it to a reef mean. called Far Tortuga. And the captain is going kind of nuts and the crew is ragtag and there's this some some infighting and life lessons, but the 
the the moral of the whole at the end they all ultimately get wiped out in one fashion or another through their own vices but he doesn't use any punctuation no so you have to really dig into who's you, you only know who's speaking about by their in, by their right he writes each character specifically with certain vocabulary cues so you know who's talking and you just mm-hmm. have to because really he doesn't have any any language tags right you have like to, so there's no he yeah. said she said there's all they like, said and it's all written in like uh whatever the dialect of the islands the, so it's like a pigeon yeah pa, whatever i don't want to say pa, patois or whatever but, patois uh, is that that's it, how you pronounce that word okay but but the, so but he, he he does a fantastic job but the but the whole underlying moral if there's a if it's moral the underlying theme is that nature always wins i think and that if you pay attention you will learn I think that there's a, a a pigeon, so you have a pigeon language when you have two different speakers who have to communicate that kind of do in a, like an abbreviated ad, like ad hoc language that when isn't a true language. When they don't speak the similar language. Yeah, but right. then the next generation will actually take the pigeon language and reform it into a fully fledged language naturally, which would be a Creole referred to by the word patois, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, That's in the language instinct. It is, it's really cool when you have it happens with um, slave populations because you have slaves who speak different languages. You bring Africa them together. Africa has a ton of dialects of in different languages. Yeah. Yeah, they create a pidgin language, which is just to get by, but it's not. It doesn't have the grammatical signs, the modifications, everything that's inherent to a true language. But then their kids will take the pidgin language and actually turn how's... it into a, a fully well, formed language, as much as with all with all the characteristics, all the modifications, structure of. Is like that a, how Swahili was created? I don't know about Swahili because it's it, you know it's kind of like supposed to be the general language of Africa. So I just wonder if it evolved from like a couple of the major languages into, or whether it was just one of the major languages that they picked. Yeah, I assume that Swahili, because they wanted, they in an effort to have a language that would stand for the for like African yeah. language in general, it was yeah, kind of yeah. politically imposed or advocated. Well, it's kind of like, like Mandarin for Ch- Chinese, mm-hmm. like because there are tons for of Chinese so languages. Ever. Yeah, yeah. Well, not Can just you, dialects, languages. Would you say that? Or Hindi for Indian. Would you say that language is the perfect example of an anarchy, a free-flowing, perfect anarchy? Ooh, the. But Norm would really love you right now. <laughs> Norm, not Norm. Norm. Norm Chomsky. Chomsky. Well, no, yeah, no. Chomsky's assertion was that there are like biological structures and instincts undermining or uh, underlying language that make it like inescapable from human consciousness. Like people are compelled to language. If you take a person without. Basically, if you take any people and you take them out of an environment that already has a language, uh, if you do it at an early enough age, they will effectively create a language. A new language, right? Yeah. Yeah, so. it's part so. of the, maybe that's that's where some of our power comes from, because we couldn't share ideas and thoughts without a structured language. language. And if we're right. predisposed to create a language every time we're together, right, then... That's well, why we took over the earth. And real well, so <laughs> it, William yeah. Burroughs yeah. considered, yeah. I think, words and language like a virus, in the sense that it got into everything and it, yeah. and, right? It but transposes. We create, we create micro languages every day. 
Yeah. You meet people and then... Uh, well, friends have their own language. Exactly. Yeah. Or like uh, you, you know mm-hmm. people... Well, we'll eventually guys, have our own language. That's yeah. going to be great. How do you guys communicate? I don't know, man. We just yeah. do it telepathically somehow. Yeah. There's, there's always, and so that's why that's I ask. That's queuing language. If, yeah. it's the, if it's the perfect example of an anarchy, because it forms itself, it checks itself. You should write a paper about that. I think it's really similar to the 1984 George Orwell concepts of like newspeak and trying to control language and mm. the inevitability of language ultimately bucking any kind of totalitarian because I've I've read that as being ultimately how 1984 is actually an optimistic work about language the fact that the it based on its description and the like accepted tenets that the parties attempt to impose controls on language is ultimately going to always fail because of how generative and personalized and like you said uh anarchic i guess would be the word yes. language is and if the first music was human music then language is ultimately integrated in music right i think so music said is that music that language that music song as as vocalization preceded language and words but humming, I don't know if he was. Then, I don't know if that was became, technical or just his, humming his were idea. vowels, and then became consonants, and then consonants became verbal associations, and then verbal associations became verbal chains, and then that's how we teach. We do teach you, with verbal associations as a basic formation of teaching. Since we're kind of in this sort of literary philosophic realm today, I only got the number four on Khan's list too. By the way, but we can keep we can going if you want. It. No, keep going. Well, you, so keep I was going to say, do you think because because you brought up 1984, and I know a lot of people are much more familiar probably with Orwell. So he did 84 and Animal Farm, right? Do you think we live in a yeah. more Orwellian society, or do you think we live in a more Huxleyan society? Brave New World. Huxley did Brave New World. So people, and his, his other one I never was read Brave New World. His utopian novel was Island. That was the last one I think he wrote before he died. And there's a guy who writes something. You'll have to. You'd have, we'll have to look it up. I'll look it up. Well, Huxley's predictions certainly have been banging through the nose. I mean, his prediction rate was pretty high. Such as, like I said, I haven't read. Hang on, hang on. I'm, I'm looking for this thing. So, like his technological. Uh, things that were in his in his novels, so like here, the touch screen on an iPhone, oh. you know, and those kind of things. I, I read an article one time that said it was like 75, 80% of what he predicted in his novels, or not predicted, but described in his novels actually have come to pass. He was pretty much a genius. That's a good So theory. keep keep that in mind. Well, also. remember, but he also dropped LSD or yeah, yeah LSD. Yeah, he was one of the, the, the doors of yeah. perception. He had his secretary or his person, his assistant record him mm-hmm. or write down everything he said and he that was a book for crazy. He was a part of the crazy. same acid test as Cary Grant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's kind of cool. Anyway, so this comes from this is from Neil Postman. And I believe this is the... So he's... The, he, I, I read all kinds of stuff about how great he is. I've okay. never read the Graveyard Book. Have you read it? Uh-uh. So this is from the... According to, to, the, to the source I'm at, which is... I don't know what website. TAU.AC.IL. Whatever that is. Um, this is the forward to amusing ourselves to death. And I, I'm, I'm cutting a lot of this out and paraphrasing. Um, 
So uh, what Orwell feared, excuse me, what Orwell feared were those who would ban books. Uh, what Huxley feared was that there would be no reason to ban a book, for there would be no one who wanted to read one. Orwell, uh, Orwell, Orwell feared those who would deprive us of information. Huxley feared those who would give us so much that we would be reduced to passivity and egoism. Hmm. Orwell feared that the truth would be concealed. Huxley feared the truth would be drowned in a sea of irrelevance. Which, which, is, which, which is what which yeah, I absolutely yeah. think we're doing right now. Uh, Orwell feared we would become captive culture. Huxley feared we would become a trivial culture preoccupied with equivalent of the feelies, the orgy-porgy, and the centrifugal bumble puppy. That's a, Those were some of the things in it, yeah, yeah. that um, distracted people. Huxley remarked in Brave New World Revisited, the civil Abs. libertarians and rationalists <laughs> who were ever on the alert to oppose tyranny, quote, failed to take into account man's almost infinite appetite for distractions, quote, end quote. In 1984, Huxley added, people are controlled by inflicting pain. In Brave New World, they are controlled by inflicting pleasure. In short, Orwell feared that what we hate will ruin us. Huxley feared that what we love will ruin us. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So They're, They would be great to contrast in a reading group. Reread Brave New World and reread 1984 and talk about those because but that's what so island his utopian novel is i've all never about read that, that i don't know maybe it's, i it's have fantastic, where everyone gets along and they use a thing called moksha medicine on young kids which is basically like mushrooms yeah so that the, the that they're grooming these kids to understand that like this is the way the world is and you right. can you can perceive this differently mm-hmm. but i think he's playing lightly off of bhutan because it's on an island that's not been they're 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 warring on the island about should they open up to the Western culture and let it in or should right. they keep this island private and peaceful and, mm. and egalitarian and anarchistic the way they it's it's very interesting. The overwhelm with information and overwhelm with pleasure is exactly more in keeping happening. with the way that human nature yeah. actually <laughs> operates. Because yeah. you can say if you try to repress people and you try to assert authority over them, then they're obviously naturally going to rebel but i've been reading a literary critique of uh ray bradbury's fahrenheit 451 yeah and i forget which vignette uh, or excuse me article that the author is and what he but he said something to the effect of uh there's an inherent flaw in the book and i never thought about this that the book people at the end that montag gets with you know they're all remembering books like each guy remembers a whole book yeah and when they start walking back toward the city after it's bombed to go help, you know, the leader of the group turns and he tells them, he says, you know, we're nobody, you know, we're, we don't, we're not, we're not relevant and it's going to take a while and don't expect us to go there and start telling people about these great books because it never did any good to begin with. And so I guess I've been thinking about this idea that this guy presents, which is that, you know, there's an idea that books convey the best things and that if people would read more and use the books and use the history, that we would be better. But there's also a lot of books out there that promote a lot of bent ideologies and, and, and backward philosophies that are really dangerous. Yeah. And so that books actually, as much as I or Bradbury or whoever would want to believe that books are the way forward and that, you know, hang on to your books, yeah. that is not... That is not always a legitimate or equal or, or, or real valid concept. 
I'm not crazy about. So the... I will give you credence to your statement much earlier before we started recording about about holding on to books for sentimentality. Uh, yeah, I'm not crazy about the reflex to say, oh, God, people don't read enough anymore. Why don't people read? People are so stupid now because they don't read enough books. Like, the assumption that, yeah, books, just like anything else, a book can be good, it can be bad, it can be good for you, it can be bad for you. Now, the loss of concentration that people have um, might be an objective problem. It's good for people to be able to to sit and concentrate and keep their mind on something continuously and not to be anxious. Um, I saw an article, it was addressing potential problems, obviously in the younger generation because everybody is constantly concerned about how different and bad the younger generation and that's been since you know time immemorial but yeah Plato was talking about how terrible they were yeah (laughs) Gen Gen Z does apparently apparently Gen Z does not sit down and read books Um, and apparently this is a problem for some reason that's related to larger mental health problems and anxiety and lack of concentration but I wasn't convinced by the article, but I did think that it was interesting that any anything that a if if you look at the mental health of a younger generation and it is becoming progressively like negative by whatever signs you're looking at, suicide rates, uh, levels of anxiety, levels of depression, disconnectedness, whatever, then those mental health issues will be prescribed to whatever particular fact or occurrence in that generation the author wants to highlight. Right, because there's no distinct correlation because you can't, the variables, you can't isolate enough to create a real correlation. Yeah, is our society going to be better if people read more? Because 300 years ago, they were saying that our society was getting worse because people were reading novels and novels were pop and romantic and not real like literature or didn't actually have value like trash novels like there was a whole dealio that yeah i remember and i read about and like novels were novels were garbage you know right um and but now it's well the problem is is that kids just fundamentally aren't sitting down to read you know to read books and this is supposed to be like either an indication of mental health issues or a cause because of the problems of concentration and not getting into long form sort of well, things. Well, I would say the idea of delayed gratification. So that was one thing I noticed when I taught high school that kids were like, give me the answer now. Give me that. They didn't want to solve the puzzle unless it was fast because they wanted to get on to the next thing or the next thing or the next thing. Novels kind of teach you or long form books kind of teach you that there's delayed gratification. But if you look at long form podcasts, like they have erupted on the scene and people love them. Like, or, and can you say that if you're reading a thematic fan fiction and you're reading fan fiction on the same subject, is that the same as reading a novel, even though it's written by different people? Like each article in fan fiction or whatever is written by different people, but it's still the same vein of the idea of whatever the characters are. They just re 
Have you ever read fan fiction before? I've not, but but like the high schoolers are all into about, it. Yeah. I haven't, but yeah. I think it's a great idea. Well, also because yeah. it it encourages people to be it encourages people to be more participatory in a story too. Right. I think that 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 dialogue and the the, the narrative forming the people it's who are lovely. reading in it, yeah, yeah, that that has value and significance that I is totally transcendent. And I really have not something. seen that much difference, to tell you the truth, um, other than the fast, 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 go, go, go. I want the right answer kind of thing, which might be something I'm just seeing as a phenomenon that's been a phenomenon the whole time, you know, since the dawn of education, but. Um, the idea that that kids really don't want or won't read like did they ever really want to sit down and read a book like took, took me a long time to get to the point where i could appreciate reading is sitting and down and reading it. a book actually valuable i think it's um, meditative yes yes i would agree with that i would agree with it increases the powers of concentration but as a means of if if enjoyment if uh, experiencing other people's ideas, being exposed to new worlds, narratives, internal monologues—all—all right. all that stuff, I think, can be captured in medium that is not sitting down and literally reading the pages. Well, of a, I'm not sure about narrative. that because the other medium would be like TV or story yeah. time with telling a story. Maybe, t- maybe. The TV presenting the story, your imagination kind of does not work as much as like if you read a story, if you heard a story. Because you can see it, you don't have to visualize it. But you, right, because your visualization, my visualization is different than his, is different than his. Then when we talk about it, we get this whole fourth player. The, the one know, thing I was going to say is I think, I think with reading, though, again, I think visual helps cartoons, TV, movies, whatever. But something about reading for me always it's personal to it was, it was very very personal but it, it seemed to be the thing that allowed my imagination to run grow and shape and reshape itself the most hmm. i don't know why there was always something about reading books that just like i could oh i could just my my more so than cartoons or movies just my mind could run with these ideas and these pictures because my idea of something might be different than yours or Joey's, or and I can. Well, your picture I, is much more personal than can, if it's being developed by Hollywood. And I can manipulate it and play with yeah. it and, and really interpersonalize it. Maybe if it gets you to the fact that you have to visualize it or you you have to create something for yourself when you're given the prompting. You're constructing that, enc- that mentally right. encourages you to keep going. Like you're, you have to fill out a scene that's presented for you. So maybe your mind goes the extra mile and feels like it's entitled to, or it's necessary for it to mentally create the entire world around it. Whereas with a TV show, you are, or a movie, you're literally, you feel like you're limited to just what is on the screen. Well, and I've never even thought about this before, but it kind of brings up so the difference between induction and deduction type of thought processes which induction is lights up your brain a lot more than deduction does and induction when you have to construct a world around a few prompts you're inducing all kinds of random generalizations or random ideas from somewhere and you're generalizing into a world into a world whereas if the tv delivers you something then you're do deducing kind of what is going on in that and you're trying to figure out by breaking it into pieces and looking at it 
but you're really not inducing anything new from it. So it might be that novels and, and words light up your brain a lot more than just sitting down watching a TV show. Yeah. So, but I don't know. I've never read a study on that, but that would be, that would be a super interesting study yeah. to read. But the idea that kids are not reading that much, I think they're reading more now than they ever have, even if they're just reading a paragraph or they're reading shorter I think or yeah, short stories like, they're not reading long form like long yeah long but, words but like I said but maybe time. they might be reading long form if they're reading you know five articles on the same topic that's still kind of long form you know like if they're yeah. just clicking through their things and they're like reading about this particular celebrity like they're still reading about the same thing or they're reading about this particular event in history, or they're reading about this character of their video game. Well, and if you look at a lot of old works, they have only they they were compiled into novels from shorter pieces that could be read in a single sitting too. Mm -hmm. Like you're not. And okay, Edgar Allan Poe said that you should never write anything. You're never going to be artistically or emotionally effective writing something that cannot be read in a single sitting. You know, and he's not why referred to so as being. Powerful. Yeah, he's not referred to as being trash or garbage because he can't be digested in a long form. Right, because he's a poet. Yeah, all those all right. those novels were all the nineteenth century novels were written as serials and released weekly, monthly, whatever. That's, that's why very they were true. So that's successful. what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. But that's uh, that's the same author. Our millennials are just using different authors, but they're the same theme. So I would say be really difficult and I would want to know the bias of whoever who is saying that they're probably really predisposed to loving yeah, novels I think that a lot of the criticism it's the bias of it's the kids these days bias it's the bias of oh literature is gone oh the same people and, who would be like grammar Nazis too and or I think, complain or yeah, mourn the does, loss of cursive handwriting and well, I do like love that. cursive handwriting it does bump it's me really out, beautiful say, as long as you keep things in perspective yeah, though yeah. like I, a time and a place it's not the downfall of culture for people not to be using it cursive emojis no. are not destroying cursive the actually world or is language. a is a recent occurrence anyway it's not like just like the uh, Pledge of Allegiance. I mean, it's not that cursive language has not, as, as a phenomenon, has not been around that long versus printing, right. which was around, you know, Old English is actually printing. Um, You're probably not, you, I, I doubt you have the same feeling I do. It does bother me, though, that I majored in English. And for the most part, unless you're going to be a lawyer, which I had no ambition to do, it's it's pretty much a completely useless and dead. It's nice to be able to analyze and and I think it strengthens your yeah. your critical power and your skills in communication. Sure. No 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 no. But that I, is not what it does. But let I, me explain I, to you I, I as feel, a college professor. I feel me, like it is it is a. Is a, is a let a, me explain to you what an English major. Loss so you carry point. the stories and values of our culture. Right, but no As one seems to care about the stories and values of the they culture do. right now. They really do. That is the ultimate meaning of everyone's life. And so when you become an English major, you literally have read and, and digested and dissected and induced from all these things that you've taken a look at. So you have a better idea of the way our society functions, our loves, what our hates are, what our desires are. Like you have all these things. To, 
Now, the fact of it being marketable or not is a totally different story, marketed in our particular marketplace that we have right now, right? That's a different thing. There's a lot of majors that are not necessarily marketable. They're foundation to other things that you might be able to do. Like Joey is a programmer, and he has an English degree. But we could say he's a pretty successful programmer living on MLL, right? Um... Well, I, I mean, view myself as being successful. I do not view myself as being a capable programmer, but that's a longer conversation. But but you add something to the programming gist in your field. That's like Apple hiring poets. There are more poets. Like There are a lot of poets working at Apple. I almost said there are more poets working there than anywhere else. But I think all these other Silicon Valley firms hire English majors and poets. Yeah, I was continuously told when I was seeking out a major in college that ultimately what your major was, with some exceptions, didn't matter that much as far as what you were ultimately going to pursue and who was going to hire you. And that has proven true in your life, which is very strange that it... And so some people, so Everybody it isn't. Was mad at me when I chose so English. it is not a training. It's not training. It's education. So it's not training. It's not training you for a specific thing like engineering would be. So we call those professional schools, like education, engineering, business, are all training schools. Sure, sure. Right. We're training for a certain job or field. Right. The liberal arts are not training fields. They're educative fields. Right. They build foundations of society. And so that's what they're for. So it hasn't, it's only been in the last 50 years that, that there was a link between a job and a degree, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. a lot of people originally that did this didn't have jobs, right? They had trust that they managed yeah. or they had, you know, they had a business that they were going to inherit or they had a job that they're, they had a family farm that they had to run, right? They didn't. Like they weren't, they were doing it to better understand the world and themselves and God or God or whoever. Like the original universities, of course, were about yeah, that's a good finding point. God. The higher education system is transitionally, it's not, it's trying to serve a function that it isn't originally intended for or no. serve multiple functions. Whereas, yeah, it wasn't when universities were began, they, they were to create a gentleman. Yeah. Well, they, they, they were to were, create someone closer to God the, first, and then a, the then goal later. of universities for hundreds of years is yeah. actually opposed to the goal that people state that they think universities right. should be for today. So people say that's a neoliberal conception of what the idea of putting a price tag on it has come with us putting a price tag on everything, and then all of a sudden higher ed now has a price tag on it. Like, well, is your degree really worth it according to the job that you're going to get when you get out of it? And it's just not designed for that. Right. It is not. It is a it is basically understanding yourself not, and, and yourself, how you fit in society, yeah. not actually understanding the world. I, I mean, not it. actually understanding a particular topic unless you go to professional school. Right. Yeah, I, people consider com- it a, oh. I, saying, I, just, I consider my degree a, a path to my, what I see is the, it's enlightenment. the ultimate path yeah. to my monkdom. My, yeah. my, my solitary monkdom. It's, it's about mm. enlightenment. I mean, it's about enlightenment. I mean, that's why <laughs> Sorry, the universities were You're created fine. in the enlightenment. Right? I was interrupting you. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, that's a neoliberal conception. The value of them is still the same. Right. People talk about education like people need practical education and that universities these days are indoctrinating kids and they're 
they're not preparing people for real life as if they've ever like not done that or as if they've right. ever done that. They've always been a means of indoctrination into a culture or into presumptions. A lot of the and they've never prepared people properly for like their practical living because that wasn't people's purpose for going to universities. No, and it wasn't necessarily indoctrination. It was discovery. So, so you went to a university to discover how close you could get to God or how close you could become to being a true gentleman or how close you become to being well-read or being a man of letters. Because remember, the original, original university were called places of arts and letters. Right, 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 right. Right? And so almost all liberal arts, like even our liberal arts degrees are all under the School of Arts and Letters. Right? right? Because that's what you learn. How to, you learn how to craft a wonderful sentence. You learn how to craft a story. You learn how to spout poetry to your lover. You learned how to create a governance. Right? And what governance looked like. All these things are like these abstract esoteric things that build our western society right the that's that's kind of where that where that comes from but the idea that you can that you just go to the university to get a job now that being said there's overwhelming evidence and they just did another thing before that going to a university directly affects your success as a human being so far as like monetary success, okay. monetarily success for sure, monetary success. I mean, it is like off the Richter scale that if you have gone to college, not that you have a degree, right. but it, it's like Bill Gates. He had his ideas in college. Mark Zuckerberg had his ideas in college. Right. Without the pressure of Harvard, Mark Zuckerberg would have never created Facebook. He would have been some little guy. Well, he wouldn't you know. have been exposed to the potential of an elitist social network that pissed him off. That then, right. yeah. Well, and, and well, and also he got pissed off, right? Because he couldn't get a date, and you know he wanted to take it out on the girls. Yeah, so he I don't created know the that face of, swap thing. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't. I love the movie The Social Network. I don't know how much of that applies to his actual life, but within that, it's a good narrative, though. But it, without his roommate writing the original logic program on the window or whatever or that's why the guy ended up with so much money in the end when when he didn't get as much as he thought he should was because he the the people recognized that he actually did help create the company but without those two getting together in that dorm room and the third person you know telling stories and pushing them towards that that crucible and Hannah Arendt one time said during the Vietnam War, don't destroy the places you actually create the energy that is, is wonderful from youth. Like colleges are one of the few places that that 20 year olds are a huge majority. Right. They're a huge majority okay. in colleges. So. so and that crucible of all that hormonal, you know, and and young and revolutionary ideas being guided by some 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 people who know some things about whatever really creates a, a, a wonderful place for invention and creation to happen. And so even not getting a degree, you say you only spent two years in college, you know, and you never got a degree, that helped you understand something about your life. Sure. You, you know, know my, my only qualm with the statistics are that they're based on the way our society functions now, like the way our hierarchies are set up and our, our systems and all that. And I think that 
I don't think those are actual rep honest representations. I think, and I think you were going to lean this way too, I think, was that there are some people who are outside of a lot of these structures who are successful, quote unquote, and very happy and, and have not ever had to deal with some of the dogmas of these things. So I, I, I understand and I agree with it, but, but that was, that's my only point of skepticism on, on, on the statistics of that kind. Well, and, but, and you also have to remember, and I, I agree with you, there are some people who probably don't ever need to go to college, actually, that could just be apprentices. Like one of the things I've always said is that we need a much more robust apprentice system in the United yes. States. Like we need that, you know, where you just, and we need it in, and well, actually in arts and letters too, we need art, art apprenticeships as well, but. This is probably a different conversation, but I, I don't know, as far as education goes, as, or, you know, all that, I, I mean, math, English, whatever, literature, history, science, these kind of things. But I think, especially as we're moving forward, you've got to start teaching people gardening. You've got to teach people, you got to bring back home ec. People have no idea how to keep home, keep money. Kids don't know how to write checks. I go to the post office, I mail stuff almost every day. I see grown adults don't know where to put the to and from, you know? Mm -hmm. There are certain things that should be really kind of... Well, people don't have to mail things that much anymore, well, though. Well, but it happens, though, and I mean, it, it's, <laughs> it's nice to be informed and not be a bumbling idiot. Okay, so you're doing the... We have a problem with people not having a practical, an adequate practical education. Just, just, to just live about, their lives. about about life in general, like just mm. like going to the store, get, you know, uh, 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 you know, stuff like that, like cutting, f fixing a simple electrical thing, fixing a, a simple motor, you know, just like it, it, things that could could be specialization, like specialization, right, division right, right. of labor, sure, specialized sure, sure. labor. So you do you want to teach you know a hundred people to do something or do you want one person to learn to do it really well and they employ that person which one's I more think, efficient i think what one do the well and there's and we can we can argue that too but all i'm saying is i think that i think it would be good if as a general population we all had a basic knowledge of general things i think the world would function me making another ignorant blanket statement but i think the world might function better if everyone just had a a general common knowledge. So would this you, is how you work a light switch. So I would you know? say that, that, that they you know? would yeah. I would say that, that that stuff has been actually taken care of. And 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 I don't I'm not sure that I believe this or not, but literally young people, millennials, they will Google something and learn yeah. how to do it on YouTube or on some kind of vi VMO video and then they will go and do it well let me take it let me let me tell you from I the foremost practitioner of being a geriatric millennial <laughs> i have i have worked with kids who are considered to be millennials who, who don't know how to use brooms dust pans sinks they've never washed a dish in their life this is what i'm saying like this is the kind of stuff i'm well, talking why about. does okay just, all right just basic you're... just basic stuff just basic stuff but again, some of that's communal. Like they, I'm not, she, I'm not they just to harp haven't. On anyone or fault yeah, anyone. you are. No, I'm not. You got I'm a not. problem with the youngins. No, you need to get over this bullshit about me accusing people of things. <laughs> you that, that, are. No, no, that's all bullshit. That's I'm not some, saying that's, that's, that that's, that's a veil you, that you wear in front of your eyes for me. Take it off. Okay, I, I, then I, what are you doing? I'm simply saying. <laughs> 
a common set feisty. Of, of basic, like this. he's of, being of, defensive of, because he doesn't like being accused of being judgmental. No, of basic, just basic everyday stuff. How to tie your shoes, how to lift your head and wave at someone, just basic things. So some of those things are Easy also basic uh, stuff. some of I'm this not about specialization. Or so any of that. some of that stuff is cultural. Do kids really need to know how to wash dishes? Right. Do kids really need to know how to use a broom? They, they got a robot that comes out of the wall and vacuums the shit up. Call me an old fogey. <laughs> I, just uh, think, I just think there's basic things. Uh, so some of that would be would have been taught in a, in a family that was actually together. Like you spent more time at home and you had chores, whatever. And, and the structure is that kids don't have those kind of chores not in our world like in other other locations probably across the country kids do know how to do dishes kids do we're talking about our millennials I guess and, may, and, may, and maybe that's and I don't and we need to be careful saying that because they are I mean, I've never met a millennial that doesn't know how to wash a dish so um, I, I have uh, but that's me and maybe I just I'm, I'm the but anomaly. and also do you really remember how you were when you were a kid I can remember my first job like not knowing how to do some things because of the fact that I just have never been taught that like it was it was wasn't that my parents it was not generalizable probably to what my experience was uh, okay like we had a maid. Again, perhaps I'm just being an old fogey. I just think there are certain certain things in life that everyone should have just a, a, a general basic working knowledge. How to turn on an oven. How to tell time. Right? How to start a car. How to start a lawnmower. Well, I mean, everybody, uh, everybody is taught how to tell time in school and... You know, those kind of things. And so we could bring home ec back. A lot of people think we need to bring home ec back, that we need to bring, which would include gardening, and that we need to bring, like, auto shop back. Yeah, like yeah. basic mechanics, um, basic woodworking. The woodworking shop, so Swansburg has a woodworking shop that's, in their high school. That's what I'm talking about, just basic So in Onzo County, stuff. what, they only had enough money to put, like, one shop at each school. So, like... Some schools have auto mechanic shops. Some schools have woodworking shops. Some schools have, like, programming um, dealios. So, because there's only so much money to go around when you're talking about education, right? And so those things are very expensive because of the materials, like a woodworking shop well, or auto. It would auto. be very expensive now. But I can remember my high school had a woodworking shop and a auto mechanics area. Yeah, we had, when I was in yeah. high school, we had shop, we had welding, I think we had electrical. That was in shop. Well, in shop, we had, like, a unit what, that what was... What did you have in high school? Like, uh, did you have, like, mm. welding, shop? There was a shop class. Where did you Languages, Croton. Oh, okay. In high school, yeah. Um, languages... I think there was a home ec type class, um, weightlifting. Okay. I just um, that's that's hmm. that's more band, what I'm talking obviously. about. Yeah. Art. I, I get. I, I'm not trying to be nitpicky about like house chores. I'm I'm just simply saying right. a basic understanding of simple stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Word working, a simple electric. That helps, man. That goes a so long way. So you're just way. you're concerned about people not being able to like function well because you want what's best for them I, I, like, I, I want I want to see people be able to be minimally 
self-sufficient and self-reliant. Because it'll make them happier? I, I think it would make them happier. I think it will make people happier, and I think it makes for stronger society. I think it gives people more okay. confidence. Oh, I can, I, okay. can, I can learn this and do it. I do think an objective like concern about the younger generation is a lack of confidence because the lack of like getting out, doing things, interacting face-to-face. But I don't know if that necessarily harms the quality of their lives. I don't want to suppose to say, hey, because people have always done this or because I think that you should do this, then your life is worse for your not doing it. I agree with that. What, what should people's no, lives or, or look or like? No, or is it our society is worse for you not doing it? I, like, don't, I don't think the individual life you can put... Like, you can't really say that, I mean, because they could be having a great time not knowing how to wash it. Yeah, and you can't right. suppose to, you can't instruct but people on society, how they should be But as a society, we could probably That's make a comment important. on that, because who is washing your dishes? C- coming right? coming from someone who was raised by someone who taught them to do nothing. And but now, your grandma taught you to do all kinds of stuff. We never, no, I mean, if something broke, it was like, all right, we'll just buy new, or we'll go, and we were poor, man, we didn't have money for this stuff. Did you have to wash dishes? Oh, yeah. Okay. Man, I had, oh, yeah, I had to cut grass, wash dishes, I had all kinds of chores. I hated cutting grass. But it was just it's us. Just, it's, it's just for just, the record, just I need to cut my grass. Coming, I'm never cutting grass again. Coming from someone I'm who <laughs> who has learned, as I've gotten older, how to fix simple things or, or make simple things, Yeah. it has enriched my life, and it's made me feel better or more confident. That also, and I would say, Joey, baby, I love you. I'm not trying to get on my hind legs and snap Foxy at you. I just don't want to be accused of being critical for something where I'm not being critical. I'm just, I'm trying to, 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 to truly. Well, I think you're a little sensitive. You are being critical. I'm be, not necessarily saying that you're you're wrong happy. or you're being negative, but you are. You're saying things are this way and they should but be listen, this way. That's the but, definition but guys, of being we're critical. being critical about everything. I mean, that's yeah. what the podcast is kind of about. We're giving our no. opinions. Mm-hmm. Well, we no. are giving our opinions about stuff. No, I'm not going to be critical. I don't think we're not that giving you're, opinions. Well, I don't we think are. that you're, you're a bad person critiquing. for saying what you're saying. You might be giving your opinion. I'm reflecting upon nature's facts that's some bullshit <laughs> yeah i like that. you and your dress dashiki <laughs> i i like people saying yeah i'm not i i state facts i'm not as long well, as you don't I think, think i'm being negative as long as you don't think i'm being negative you, you can find me critical okay but that's, fine. that's fine but i'm not so being negative. the only reason i'm con- ever concerned about you being negative is i don't want you to internally like feel bad or suffer under your perception of that's things. That's fine. I, I just want people to enrich themselves because I think if they enrich themselves, it gives you a greater power. Yeah, that's good. That's If I if I was more eloquent the first time around, that's what I would have said. Um, I, but would, you say, would you say reading poetry makes you more powerful as a person? Makes you a more understanding person? I think it makes you think. So do you think that we have a bunch of people that are running around not thinking because they don't read any poetry? No. Okay, so that would be a logic, like kind of like a, a a really bastardized syllogism that I kind of just did, but that you know, so it's really difficult to say that the generation is not going to be able to function because they can't do these home ec type things. And like I was telling him when you went to the bathroom, who cares about them being able to sweep? There's a robot that come out and vacuum the floor. I so, think that's a practical way to look at it. So, 
Okay. If but I can see you. But you're also the type of personality. You're very much a doer personality. Like you like a garden. You like, you know, there is something meditative about washing the damn dishes. I mean, like literally, I don't know. I, I think you're a more earthy type person and you would naturally be upset if those things slowly started disappearing, which is why you're advocating for them. I've talked to plenty of people who are, and I'm not saying this is how you are, plenty <laughs> of people are just offended at the notion that a young person can't change a tire. It just, it bugs the hell out of them, I guess, because it, they, and it's not out of concern for the person not being able to live a happy and fulfilling life. It just, it offends them at like a deep level because maybe the, the change, the sense of entitlement, and I feel like that goes back to the kids these days thing that's been going on for Literally, forever. they would get out their phone, YouTube how to change a tire and change a tire. Unless they felt like the like the physical activity was just not not something that was really like worth doing, which I wouldn't necessarily dis I wouldn't say that somebody has to change their own tire if they can get somebody to do it for I them. I didn't know how to change my own tire until I had one go flat in the driveway. Yeah, I, it just took me 35 years to figure that out. <laughs> mm -hmm. So there you go. Um, and, and no, I'm not deeply offended by that. I think it would help. But I mean, if you don't know, well, there is there is you wouldn't something know unless it happened to in, you in yeah, the you in know. the earthy people that the idea that well, and I think about this. We were talking about a couple podcasts ago. We were talking about place and not being connected to place, right? There's something about having your hands in the dirt, like kids having mm. their hands in the dirt mm. and building mud pies and forts and shit like that. That is part of the way we build the world like, yeah kids um, not being able to run around and play with each other and get hurt and all this other stuff that they like can't do that all, think, that offends the exact same I people i think about exactly my friends parents way. locking their kids out of the house right and not even you know checking on them as child abuse today like and literally throwing the kids out of the house into the yard locking the door so they couldn't come back in and bug them mm. And at, you know, three or four o'clock, they'd unlock the door and holler for them. They'd all come and get a snack. Then they'd Go kick, up, kick their yeah. asses back off the porch. <laughs> yeah. I think that same sense of offense is getting is at play or getting touched by the notion of kids not reading books anymore. Or not writing cursive, too. It's this traditionalist How did you, we, dislike we, of change. When you were growing up, did you spend your time equally inside outside do you think because like we definitely had video games and things and yeah i transitioned more towards you spent a I lot of time outside for a bookworm in elementary school i was outside a lot and then in middle school i was more inside reading playing video games so and i think that just had to do with i don't know simpler pleasure i guess well, maybe I was probably worse for it in a lot of ways, though, just from a, from a lack of physical. But now activity. you're outside a decent amount. Yeah, I think we split. Your our, tan shows it. Yeah, <laughs> we split our time a lot. I mean, we were outside more than inside, but we were inside doing stuff too. And now that I've gotten older, I probably tend to spend more time inside. But the things that I do that I have interests in tend to contour themselves. Like it's tough to record music outside in the open. I've always yeah. spent more time inside. So. I would like for there to be advances in technology that allow people to do 
concentrative or technical jobs that Outdoors. would like you. Yeah, oh, it would be wonderful. I don't understand how it could happen exactly, you but Google some kind of computer. Yeah, it might require like a hard wiring or like build a building with a bunch of windows. <sighs> Let the outside come in. Yeah, that helps a little bit. Yeah, basically. the best I can yeah. come up with. Okay. Wait, so do you have windows from your office? I have a window. Does it look out on the sound or the ocean? Uh, Isn't that a book? A room over with a there. view? Oh, okay. Uh, can, can you see the water? E.M. E. Forster? <laughs> can you see the water? No. Oh. Um, so I, wanna, I, wanna I don't think you can see the water from anywhere the in third that floor. office. I want to I go back, though. From the roof. Going okay. back to language. Well, no, barely from the third floor, yeah. And anarchism and all that. So if Mandarin is the thing for Chinese, Swahili is the thing for Africa, when will the one world language come into play? Well, and, I think we and, already have a good play on it right now. And, and is the is, one world language yeah. English? That's what's and it is directly to tie to our currency being the reserve currency of the world. If I would you, say that. If you have populations that are communicating with each other, then their languages will homogenate. Now, the difference now so is we, we have very good translation technologies, which discourages the unity of language. Yeah. So we could, it would be a race between effective, easy, effortless well, like translation. Plus, plus, with the traditionalists, we do have a decent amount of traditionalists that are trying to preserve French or trying to preserve you know, native languages like Hawaiian which is a really, really pretty language, and there are Hawaiian societies that try to preserve that language because it, you know, they do tend mm. to flatten and, and like you're saying, moving towards a one-world language, yeah. which is a natural occurrence. Is it, yeah, what is really, I don't know if I'm going to mourn the loss of diverse language or diverse cultures or not it would have to be demonstrated to me that they have something that's uniquely valuable i guess they all do just by well, virtue of being different but just by i would think just by virtue of having existed it makes them unique yeah. well they, they were there if they you were look at the original time. hawaiian culture and but you I guess look at the sing song of the language and the the waves that you can hear anywhere on the islands and the i don't know I think the, the Hawaiian language me, is really beautiful, and like the island is really beautiful. To me, <laughs> different languages thematically, like, the strongest idea that they represent to me is just is unity. That despite the apparent diversity, we're ultimately all the same. I don't think that there's any facet of experience or anything substantial about humans that's lost by the loss of a language. So you don't think there's a, like, so far as like if we're trying to preserve, so this all, this flows into the preserving culture, like preserving distinct cultures. So that's one of the things in postmodernism, which we are going to get to postmodernism next time because we, none of us, I made notes. an error. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I made an error last time we were talking when I what listened notes? to the, um, on postmodernism. Oh, I was so, going to stuff from those, school where the, they broke down all the... Ah. Yeah. yeah, so we can talk about that more. But the um, the idea that we need to preserve these cultures because they have value in them and um, is that fracturing our society because we need to be kind of amalgamated, um, not homogeneous, but kind of like thinking about some idea that allows us to come and, and create 
a fiction like a, you know, the United States. So, you know, that it comes from that. But let me make a statement here. Where okay. do you think the greatest beer drinkers, the, the country that has the largest amount of beer drinkers? Germany. Per capita. I think, what do you call, yeah, I'm going to say Germany. Germany's like fifth on the list. The Czech Republic. I mean, yeah, the Czech Are you, Republic. So you're excluding liquor? No, beer. Beer. Yeah. Czech Republic. Okay, interesting. That whole area right around there is their massive... Like, the Brits were very upset they weren't in the top ten. I know <laughs> Russia overwhelms Russia Vodka. and Eastern European with liquor drinking. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. yeah. So I just, I just, before I forgot that, I needed to put that out there. Okay, I'm going to read the rest of these real quick. Five, there is one law, the law of reciprocity, which can be observed by a selfless conscience together with a sense of awakened justice. Six, there is one brotherhood, the human brotherhood, which unites the children of earth indiscriminately in the fatherhood of God. This was later adapted by followers to, quote, there is one family, the human family, which unites the children of earth indiscriminately in the parenthood of God. Very Seven, humanistic. There is one moral, the love, which springs forth from self-denial and blooms in deeds of beneficence. Okay. Eight. Self-denial. There is one object of praise, <laughs> the beauty which uplifts the heart of its worshiper through all aspects from the seen to the unseen. Nine. There is one truth, true knowledge of our being, within and without, which is the essence of wisdom. Ten. Final one. There is one path, annihilation of the false ego in the real, which raises the mortal to immortality, in which resides all perfection. And that is what I'm striving to do, to be the best friend to you that I can be. And that's why I love you so much. That's why you oh. yelled at him earlier? No, I yelled because I got defensive. <laughs> yeah, which is fine. Because I, I don't, I don't want to be perceived as being negative anymore. Well, I was definitely prescribing that, like, that kids these oh, days wait, wait, mentality wait, wait, wait. because Critique of the similarity of what you were saying. Critique may not be not negativity. It's part of deduction. No, that's the problem. He, so, well, hang on. He was being... So we yeah, talked about deduction and negative. induction. I uh, have, I have unjustly several times in the past been called negative. Well, uh, justly as well, but I have, with Joey, I've known Joey a long time. Joey has in the past been mm -hmm. concerned. I don't want to use denigrating terms, so we'll say concerned for my personal levels of self-denial and uh, overwhelming moments of, of intense uh, brooding negativity. You've expressed that to me. Uh, indeed. I wouldn't assume that about you. And, and in that vein, I have worked, as you're very well aware of, Brad, very hard mm -hmm. to counteract some of these less enjoyable character traits of mine. Yeah. And so I don't perceive you that way at all. So I, 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 which is funny. I full, full heartedly and honestly apologize for acting out that way. I, I, I just cannot, I do not want to be perceived in any way as being negative. Critical is fine. But I was not being critical to tear anyone down, which is my usual avenue of criticism. Yes. I was being critical because I really believe that if people can have some minor modicum of self-reliance, that they do indeed live richer lives for themselves and the people around them. And I just was not able to express that. So when you look My at, reaction was unjustified. So deduction is the process of taking apart, which is critique. Is, is, is advanced deduction, taking, taking stuff apart and looking at the pieces and making a definitive judgment of the moral value of that or of the value of that. Induction is taking random pieces and putting them back together, which is creation, right, to form a new whole. 
So that would be creation. So the process of critique is negative, right? But it's not bad negative. Right. Just like negative liberty is the process of not having, you know, a governmental structure impose something on you. So, you know, these things are not necessarily bad. They just are part of the process of what happens. Right. It's what you do with the critique that matters, not the critique itself. And in that case, I would say I I very much appreciate it. That's why Joe and I, I think, have been very good friends for so long, because he, much like Samantha and yourself from time to time. He's not not super sensitive. You guys have a good way of of keeping me me on the ground, because I I get into some clouds, Hmm. and I like to to hang out there. What would you say the other week? My halo is... uh, Tilted. Tilted, yeah. (laughs) But you still got one. Right. You know how you see the dunk range of ink goes over the side. I want to bring up the Pentecost the thing because I think that it's interesting. Wait, is it good? I need to go to the bathroom. What is? I gotta go to the bathroom. So Brad's going to take a piss and Joey and I are going to rap about, we're going we're gonna to make this the Keith and Joey moment. So the central uh, occurrence at the beginning of the, the Pentecost. Oh, he, he doesn't want to miss this The day of Pentecost though. in Acts is... The, the concept of being filled with the Holy Spirit, the, the apostles, the Jews of Jerusalem are able to speak in tongues, communicate in different languages, yet, and listen, yet still all understand each other. Right, the speaking, the speaking of, quote, the truth, end quote. Yeah, and you can hear, like, they're amazed about the fact that the people who are speaking are not speaking uh, the language that they themselves speak because they're capable of understanding them despite the fact that they're speaking a different language. So it's sort of the like, the opposite of like the notion of like the Tower of Babel. Like it's the, rather than taking people of a single language and confounding them and splitting them up and making them incapable of talking to each other, despite the fact that they're speaking different languages, they're still able to understand each other. Right. Oh, I think the motif of language in the, uh, the contrast of the, in the New and Old Testament there is interesting. What were some of the highlights of your week? I didn't talk to you. Um, my week was, was pretty low-key. I think I've been getting into... As soon as I wake up in the morning, uh, I've been reading, but just getting outside in the sun as soon as possible to establish a very uh, regular circadian rhythm. Why do you keep your blinds down? You have such a nice place that gets a lot of good natural light. No, I open them up. Oh, okay. Yeah. I just well, don't. Maybe I come by too early in the morning. Well, I mean, I, I'm going to work. I drive around, man, you know. Yeah. No, I actually started opening the, uh, I'm not stalking. Like, the back door <laughs> of the uh, going out on my back porch, too, and leaving it open to let in more light. So, How do you read when you read? Do you, do you underline or highlight as you go anymore? Do you do that? I haven't been, no. You, um, just, you just retain stuff a lot better than I do. Mm. I don't know about that. Do you do you reread things? Do you have to reread stuff, or are you pretty good about catching it on the first go? Uh, it depends on how distracted I am. Um, I really like the. I didn't used to, but I really like the idea of rereading now because I think about. Um, actually, analogously, I thought about it with movies, where if you watch a movie one one time and you wait a little while, you you remember parts of it, but you really can't even do a good recitation of like the, the plot. 
involved until you've seen it multiple times and people watch movies they like many 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 times you know it makes sense to reread things. there is something to be said for the specialty of of knowing a lot about a little versus a little about a lot yeah if something's worth reading then it's definitely worth reading multiple times so i have a lot of things that i intend to go back not only reread but also annotate at the same time in hopes of improving my like memory and experience of it. So the point that I brought up about the Pentecost is the the sort of the miracle of the speaking in tongues and everything was the fact that the being filled with the Holy Spirit, the apostles, the Jews of Jerusalem were able to understand each other and understand other people despite the fact that different languages were being spoken. Okay. So it was like this okay. built-in translation, I said, is like a contrast to like the notion of like the Tower of Babel or whatever. Right. So I felt like that kind of uh, went synergistically with our discussion about language, and it was appropriate given the day. So, interesting concept, that that would be sort of a, a miracle, the ability of different people to understand each other uh, because of a... I guess because of a common faith to an extent, but I don't necessarily, when it refers to the Jews of Jerusalem, I, obviously they, you know, you can be both, in that context, you could be both Jewish and Christian, given the, like, ethnically Jewish or, you know, previously Jewish. This would be and a, a convert, really great leaping off point. Converted in order for it for to For our uninformed, occur. and I'm sure, wonderful opinions and, and thoughts on the conflict over there right now but we'll mm. we'll 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 lay that let's pause on that and see what the happens with the conflict like the, let's the, the peace process yeah let's mm. let's let's do that next next well Sunday. we'll get to it because we still got to revisit everyone's school notes uh now uh, if you want to riff on the pentecost go ahead however no i was thinking about though our our are our higher ed universities the translators of society between the the old and the new, the millennials and the or the ah, but that's what the, the that's what the geriatric millennials yeah. are supposed to do. That's what they said about us. We're the only people equipped to lead society through the quagmire we're in now because we're the only people who can remember the old and grew up discovering and understanding the new. So that's only valuable until the old is when gone. When do the millennials end? Begin. Uh, it was eighty to two thousand, and now I guess they—I guess they're extrapolating it from like eighty-six to ninety-nine or something. Okay. And okay. Then, and yeah. And then now you got your Gen Xers, and then you have your geriatric millennials, which is eighty to eighty-five. Yeah, the eighty to eighty-five is like the transitional the period. transition group. And yet, for some reason, we're the group that probably has been screwed the hardest by the two by the pandemic and 08 and we're probably the group that people don't listen to at all because we're the ones that don't know what we're talking about well definitely by the the recession because you're in a position to have to shoulder a larger amount of financial burden yeah now before before we because we're getting i know you're hungry and we're getting slim for our right our uh by the way uh shout out here to uh, don cleveland island resident <laughs> uh nice man fantastic pilot um no he does not take people into the air for fun unless you pay him a lot a lot a lot of money and really i'm the one that books that so you'll need to pay a finder's fee <laughs> um don's gonna <laughs> that that said uh we're, we're hitting our hour and a half mark which is too long for don yeah, yeah. <laughs> so shout out to don cleveland 
Yeah. Whom I didn't even know was listening, so thanks. So listen, uh, let's do a... You want to do a book recommendation at the end of every show? We can, but I have one last question before we do this. This is why I asked Joey. When you read, do you read with highlighter or pen? Do you make, as you go through, even for casual reading, do you read and notate? So I have an annotation that I use for technical reading for my profession, like for philosophy or for educational works or something like that. When I read for fun, I read on a Kindle and I don't highlight anything. Okay. Right. I, uh, whether it's for uh, academic reading, personal reading, or otherwise, I am in the habit now, I've just done it for so many years, of reading with a highlighter or a pen and ideas and concepts as I go through. Do you read much fiction, though? I do. Okay. But I mean, okay. but even like the, even like highlight the, your fiction, the, the stuff they get into, like concepts, you know. Okay. I'll, I'll make notes. I don't do. It's a lot harder to highlight on a on a Kindle, and I I yeah. might would do that. Um, I've always underlined things that I liked in books, which some people freaks them out because you're not supposed to write in a book. But um, yeah. Okay, so then we'll do we'll do different recommendations every week. I guess this week it'll be a book. So go ahead. So mine. It's our uh, new thing. Starting this week. So just one a piece, please. That's fine. Okay. Mine is Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. Hmm. All right. Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. Spell right. the last name. Do you know? K-A-H-N-N-A-M, I think. Okay. All right. Go ahead, Joey. I'll do Book of Acts, King James Bible. Oh. Yeah. Oh, the because, of, because of the, yeah, because yeah. of the Pentecost. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I already made a suggestion today. What re, 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 revisit that? The Mysticism of Sound and Music by, by Hazrat Eniyat Khan. Okay. Whom Joey read his 10 tenets. Yeah, I thought that was super interesting. Tenets. Right. Well, we're going to sign off now. We hope everybody has a great end to their weekend and a wonderful next week. And we'll see you again. This is the legend signing off from On Conversation to Champagne Wishes. And caviar dreams. <laughs> That's cute.